Welcome back to the Black Menace Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Weaver, and I am here with my other host, Nate Bird. Happy to be on the show as always. Yes. So we're going to start with our menace moment today. And today we are highlighting um, a wonderful menace who I'm surprised we haven't covered at this point. Um, her name is Tarana Burke. If you are not familiar with her, she is the person who kind of started the Me Too movement. Um, and I'm going to go into the reasons why she is a menace. So uh, Tarana was born and born and raised um, in the Bronx, New York. And she grew up in a low income slash working class family and grew up in the project as well. And this is where she experienced sexual violence as um, a child and as a teenager. But her mom was very supportive and encouraging of her overcoming her trauma and using um, that trauma to help people. And so in her teenager years is actually when she started working with women in marginalized communities. Um, and what's something that's really interesting is this Me Too movement that she became named, known for so much later in her life actually started in 2006. Um, but after she you know, graduated high school, she went to Alabama State University, but then ended up transferring to Auburn University at Montgomery and graduated from there. And then in 2003, she started her first nonprofit, which is called Just Be, which was an all-girls program for black um, girls between the ages of 12 to 18. And then she formed the Me Too movement in 2006 to raise awareness um, of the sexual abuse and a sexual assault that happens in society. Uh, go off then. Mm-hmm. And what's something interesting and kind of random, she moved to Selma after she graduated hmm. college. If you know Selma, Alabama, it's kind of a random city, random town. Not in a bad way. I mean, it's very significant to the civil rights movement, but now yeah. I feel like it would be quite this is random. Very, it's like small town Alabama. Small town, yeah. yeah. I've been there because I served my mission there. Oh, mm. shut up. But I've yeah, it's... Yeah, for the civil rights seminar. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of a random place. Um, so it's like, why did she move there? So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> um, but I guess this ties into this next interesting fact. She was a consultant for the 2014 movie Selma, which is one mm -hmm. of my favorite civil rights movement movies because it's about the Voters' Rights Act that was passed in 1965 and all that went into it. And I learned a lot from that movie personally. And so um, I thought that was interesting that she was a consultant for it, um, which I guess maybe came from her living there. That I have no clue. <laughs> I actually have not seen some. I probably should What? Nate! Listen, a lot of those like black trauma movies, I just don't be watching. Okay, it's not, Selma's not a black trauma though, I feel like. Also like historical pieces, I don't be watching them either because a lot okay. of them tend to have like elements that I'm not a fan of. Oh, what do you mean? Like white savior elements or like... Okay. You know. I want you to watch this then. I'd be interesting interested to hear your like take on it. Okay, I'll check it out. I'll check it out for sure. Yes. Yeah, like that's why I didn't finish Hidden Figures because although the story is powerful, I didn't want to watch the movie. Like I really? just I just read the book because I was like I don't wow. really want to watch like what was it Kevin Bacon I don't know whatever which, dude which one was that I don't know what whoever the white man was that like knocked down the sign. Oh yeah, it was like you can go to the bathroom wherever you want to go, like yeah. that kind of thing. I was like, I, I don't really want to see all that. You know? I'm so dead. So I, I just I read the book. Well, instead. the the white person that was really the focus in Selma was President Johnson. It was very interesting. That's really what I learned about this was how involved MLK actually was mm -hmm. with the president and how often he would talk to him. Interesting. Because I mean, he was being like, "Bruh, MLK, they're going crazy right now." 
I look stupid as hell. That's pretty much what he was saying to him on the phone. And then MLK's like, pass a voters' right act, and I'll stop everything. And then he was like, no. And so MLK said, well, we're going to do what we're going to do. And he's like, if this is, and it was funny because he'd be in the face of the president being like, I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. I'm for the people. And so I'm here with you, but at the end of the day, I'm for the people. And so if they do something crazy that makes you look bad, that's extremely tough for you. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, we'll talk about this yeah, after you watch it. We'll come back to that. But um, so the Me Too mint really got picked up in 2017 by a hashtag during the Harvey Weinstein sexual assault and sexual abuse case when it was coming out. And what was interesting is when it happened, Toronto didn't really get the credit for it. It was all of, you know, the famous white women mm-hmm. who were using it and they kind of got the attention at first. And then I, I don't really remember the story of, do you remember Nate who like brought attention to the fact that it was actually her and not? I don't, I wasn't yeah. really like active on Twitter or like social yeah, media. Yeah, I wasn't. And I couldn't find anything on the internet about it, but ba- I do remember that part though. Mm-hmm. I'm not imagining that, that she didn't get the recognition she deserved, but eventually she did. And then here's some of her awards that she's gotten in her lifetime. In 2017, she was named the Time Person of the Year. Mm. Um, 2018, she was named the Time 100 Most Influential People in the World. 2019, she got the Sydney Peace Prize Award. And then she got the Harvard Gilstman Citizen Activism Award. And in 2020, she was named one of the U.S. Today's Women's Women of the Decade. Mm. And then she also, in 2018, received the Pride for Courage from the Ridenauer um, Association. Yeah. And for people who are passionate and courage, courageous about public um, and social justice. So I thought that was really cool. And right now, she is currently the senior director uh, at Girls for Gender Equity, which is a place that focuses um, on organizing to help improve policies at schools, workplaces, and places of worship, um, and helping women to focus, um, helping to help focus on the victims instead of blaming them for what they have gone through. And she also has two books published in 2021. She published the book, uh, You Are the Best, hold on, You Are Your Best Thing, Vulnerability, Shame, Resilience, and the Black Experience. And then she co-authored another book with Brene Brown, um, which is called, sorry, I'm trying to read this. It's a lot of in between. Oh, it's called For Random House and Unbound, My Story of Liberation and the Birth of the Me Too Movement. Hmm. And random, the Har- Harvard University also published a case study on her called Leading with Empathy, Tarana Burke and the Making of the Me Too Movement, which I want to read as the like social yeah. science research nerd that I am. Mm, absolutely. I need to check that out. Yeah, I have. I'll admit, I knew that Toronto Burke started the Me Too movement because I like did a little bit of research about her last year, but I didn't know all those details. Yeah, I didn't know that she had books out, anything like that. So I need yeah. to like, I need to get on that. Yeah. Research. Well, I mean, it makes sense that she was doing the work a lot longer than she's been given credit for, almost in the media. Like mm-hmm. she's been doing a lot of, like most people, just a lot of grassroots community local stuff and influencing the people in the area closest to her and then that got national attention through um you know the white women on twitter so Mm -hmm. (laughs) but she's a menace just because she obviously through her own experiences um stood up for what she believed was right and has been an advocate for victims um her whole life it sounds like especially i'm very impressed from a young age considering the trauma that she went through and her ability to take that trauma and use it as a way to help others and to support other women 
and helping them to use their story for strength. Yeah, that is something powerful for sure. Because everybody handles trauma differently. And so for her to be able to handle it in that way is significant. Yeah, and help other women to be in that, get to that space as well. Mm-hmm. It would be definitely be interesting to just like pick her brain and, yeah. you know, find out. Yeah, and learn, hear more stories from her. Just people who do social work, social justice work very long. Like I always want to hear stories just because they meet so many people mm-hmm. and have so many experiences that I'm always like, tell me. Right. And they're always so wise. Like even meeting Jonathan Jackson this week, mm-hmm. that was so good. Like people who just have been involved in social work, social justice work for such a long time. I'm like, I love, I just like to listen to you talk. Yeah. Do you actually want to talk about that for a second? Like, Oh yeah, I will. Ones, yeah. So this past Saturday, um, Jonathan Jackson, who is the Democrat, Democratic nominee for the, um, I forget what it's called, The it's a certain area in Illinois, something first con- congress- congressional district, I believe, in, the, so it's basically the south side of Chicago, which is where I'm from. He actually lives like a couple blocks from where I live. Oh, really? Yeah. Crazy. We talked about it. You know, That's Chicago cool. people always going to, he went to my high school. Oh, shoot. You know, okay. me, him, and Michelle. So did he grow up? Carrying like, the world. Did he know Michelle growing up? <laughs> huh? Did he know Michelle growing up then? Michelle Obama? No, he was around the same time as her though, because he's fifty-six. Yeah, because she was she was like best friends with Jesse Jackson's daughter. Yes, that's what he said. His sister uh-huh. was friends with, yeah. like he wasn't directly friends with her, but he had his family, like he's a sister. I think he was friends with her or something okay. like that. Yeah, he did talk about this. Yeah, and that's Jesse Jackson's yeah, son. That's cool. So that was really cool meeting him, and he had really good things to say. So. I liked him. He he said he spoke um, with some college age and high school students just about voting, and um, he really reminded me the importance of our vote. And you know, it's a midterm election coming up, so I hope everyone is registered to vote and that you make it to the polls or do an absentee ballot, early ballot, whatever, because these midterm elections really do impact what can happen in the national election. And your local government actually impacts you way more than the national government. Um, other than really like, you know, Supreme Court rulings and things like that, like they are important, yes, mm. but also your local government is just as important and you need to be involved in those elections and campaigns because he told a story about basically how all these Republican senators were trying to throw out the election that had just happened between Joe Biden and Trump. Mm-hmm. And if they had won that and it had gone back to the states, the state vote with how many Republican people are in the Senate would have overturned the vote and Trump probably would have been in office. Mm. So like that's something really small that you wouldn't think about because of the Electoral College and all these things, but right, each right. vote and each placement that someone has in the government really matters and you need to know who they are. And even if you don't like them, are they better than the person you currently have? You have to take steps towards the future, small ways, sometimes big ways. And that's kind of what he talked about. And so I feel inspired and rejuvenated in my desire to vote and was reminded of how many people have sacrificed for our ability to mail in a piece of paper mm-hmm. absolutely i have voted in the past but like i feel like my my fervor for wanting to vote like you said has definitely been renewed these last couple of elections and i've like yes. really realized the importance of voting because for a minute there i felt like it didn't matter but yep it definitely does so if you're not registered to mm-hmm. vote Get registered to vote. If you're registered to vote in another state, send for an absentee ballot. But make That's sure what I'm you, doing. Make sure you get your vote in. Yeah. Regardless of what side you're on. Yes. Just be sure to vote because it's our civic duty. And at the end of the day, you can't say shit. I'm sorry if you have not voted. You can't yeah. complain about anything because all your local officials, the reason you're in the position you're in is because you didn't vote. Yeah. That's and, very true. And it's, local elections are always so close, like by 100 votes. 
yeah. 200 votes that's a very big like that margin is so small mm-hmm. but can really make a difference in what you experience every day yeah and not a lot of people vote locally too nope usually the people that you see voting locally are going to be like senior citizens yep um, people who maybe own homes in the area which is most likely going to be like senior citizens especially with this day and age gen xers yeah you know so um, i think young people getting out and voting is going to be very important because you know this country that gen x has left behind for us <laughs> We're going to have to fix it. And right now we got a whole bunch of Gen Xers sitting in the Senate and in the Congress and was it the House of Representatives running the country, running all the companies. And they are running this shit into the ground, into the ground. So we need to get on that. So I'm going to be voting. I'm going to be encouraging everybody I know to vote. And we want y'all to vote, too. Yes. And also, next week, we're going to do the Minutes Moment about Jesse Jackson. Because I feel like yeah. not enough people know about no. the Honorable Reverend Jesse okay. Jackson. Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to share more about him next week. But just know yes. that he's the one that coined the term African-American. That's where that came from. Mm. It was from Reverend Jesse Jackson. So we'll talk about him next week. His son was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like he wants to be my friend. Oh, yeah? That's how I felt. In a, like, in a good way. Like, he gave, he gave us his phone number, everything. Okay. I was like, wow. That's when I come to Chicago, this is what I need. I'm like, yeah, invite me to, like, some cool political events I can go to to get to know more people. For sure. I know he's down with the black ministers, too. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, he is. So, yeah, keep an eye out. Yeah. All right. Uh, but yeah, anyway, talking about that. Um, this week, we kind of wanted to focus on kind of was something that's been a hot topic, obviously, mm-hmm. for a minute. But uh, was recently. Sorry, I'm laughing because I know what Nate's going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it was recently like blown back up in the media, right? So fire was reignited. <laughs> yeah. So not this past weekend, but two weekends ago, um, there was some event, concert, whatever, where Kanye West uh, was spotted hand in hand with Candace Owens, bestie, wearing. Uh, <laughs> shirts that said white lives matter right Ooh, love to see it um and i'll admit <laughs> i have not I'm done joking joking I, guys <laughs> i have not done my research into this right i don't know the full reason why they were wearing the shirts i you know i don't understand necessarily the statement that they were trying to make because i saw that and i was like this is ridiculous i'm not going to pay a lot of attention to this and so um you know we're not going to focus so much on what they did what we're going to focus on is talking about black lives matter both what the phrase means and the organization behind that phrase. Mm -hmm. And then we're also going to talk about white lives matter and why that say, or why that sentence is a problematic sentence. Okay. So basically, well, you know what, before I say anything, you want to kick it off? Um, no. Okay. I'll kick it off. (laughs) So, uh, black lives matter was started. Um, you know, it's, I like to think of it as the, maybe the second or the third wave of the civil rights movement, right? I like so, that. We should, they should start doing that. Yeah, like you know how like they talk the, about... The, the f- different types of feminism. Yeah, there's like different yeah. waves of feminism. That's, and this wow. I, I view okay, this as like... you see it right here first, guys. Mm-hmm. What is it? Coin the, <laughs> the phrase right now. Yeah. When you see it in the history books, first mm-hmm. wave civil rights movement, second wave civil rights movement, um, we're going to credit Nate Bird. Yeah, Nathaniel so when, Bird. When Harvard <laughs> University publishes a study yes. talking about the second wave or the third wave of the civil rights movement, and uh, it becomes goes viral on Twitter. I want somebody to to come yes. back to this podcast yes. and be like, actually, this is where it started. But um, and you know, maybe there's probably other people talking about this already. I'm being facetious, but um, you know, I like to think of it as that because uh, the the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was not the end of racism. It was not the end of discrimination. It just you know, in some way, it it, it legally desegregated the country, yes. but it didn't do anything to 
actually desegregate, right? Um, in most ways, we're more segregated now in 2022 than we were in 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, economically, physically, like a whole lot of different ways, right? Um, and so, you know, there was that. And then in the 70s, there was the Fair Housing Act that was passed. That could, I don't know, that that era could kind of be conceived as like the second wave of the civil rights movement because there was a huge wave of like black power and um, like the black power movement was going on strong. There were the Black Panthers out there, Malcolm X. Well, no, I guess Malcolm X was a little bit earlier. He was doing the civil rights movement as well. Um, but the black power movement was going on. The Black Panthers were active. Um, you know, there were a lot of different things that came out of that era. So it's kind of like an empowerment era, kind of like how we see the women's empowerment movement is going on right now. You could say that a portion of the black empowerment movement went on back then. And I think now in the last decade or so, we've entered that second or maybe third wave of the civil rights movement where now we're fighting for um, other kinds of equality, um, fighting for an end to police police brutality because that Mm -hmm. certainly didn't stop with the civil rights movement or the first wave. Um, And so... Yeah, when it, it, it gained public traction and, and public attention when uh, Trayvon Martin was killed, um, and uh, you know we we didn't we made a video about this on Black Menaces, and I think in that video I said it was a white man. I messed up there; I was mistaken. It's actually a, a man of Hispanic descent. His name is uh, George Zimmerman. Yep. Yeah, George Zimmerman. I don't want to get. I just remember that last name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never. So it's unique. It's unique. Yeah, his name was George Zimmerman. He was a Hispanic man living in Florida, and he Mm -hmm. saw a black teenager walking through his neighborhood um, wearing a hoodie. And he took it upon himself to call the police and say, there's a suspicious teenager in my neighborhood, suspicious black teenager in my neighborhood, and he just looked suspicious. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just walking. That was it. He didn't stop. He wasn't doing anything. He wasn't going to people's yards. He was just walking down the street or walking down the sidewalk. And uh, the police told him, okay, stay inside. Don't go outside. And what did he do? He went outside and took a gun with him and confronted this teenager who was, I believe, what was he, 15? Yeah. 15 or 16? He he was like 14 or 15. He was young. I don't remember his exact age. I just know that it hit home for my brother because he was in a very Mm -hmm. similar age. And I was around the same age, too. Yeah, I I don't want to get that wrong. But he was a teenager. Yeah, just just look it up really quick. How old was Trayvon Martin? But, um, yeah, you know, regardless of his age, he was a teenager. He was a child. 17. He was 17. Okay, so he was 17 years old. He was a minor. Um, and this grown man followed him outside uh, with a gun, confronted him. And as a 17-year-old would do, he's like, you know, why is this man talking to me? I'm just walking home. Literally. And uh, so then, um, you know, George Zimmerman got up all close to him or whatever. A scuffle ensued. And then George Zimmerman shot, um, he shot Trayvon Martin. And then there was a whole trial about it, and George Zimmerman claimed that he was afraid for his life and all of this BS, which, you know, if you were afraid for your life, you think you'd stay inside. But instead, he followed this kid outside with a gun in his hand and then proceeded to kill him, murder him in cold blood. And, um, and because he was of Florida, a, sorry, I don't know what you're going to say. I was going to say because of Florida's, like, stand your ground laws, yeah. that is part of the reason that allowed, that the defense was allowed. And because in another state, that would not have held up. Like, that, right, right. that threshold of self-defense mm-hmm. it needs to be a lot like your th- threat to yourself needs to be a lot higher than what Zimmerman claimed in court yeah and so and I mean I, that's where local things come in mm-hmm. in big play because it's like locally people you know in the south people like guns they have guns they're 
the requirements are, you know, a little more relaxed than maybe in a blue state. Um, so that's mm. just like my little caveat about the Trayvon yeah, murder. I did thing. forget about the stand your ground laws, which it was a ridiculous law if you think about it. He followed it, so he was inside of his house. Yeah, he left the safety of his no, house truly. to follow a seventeen year old down the street, and then when that seventeen year old confronted him about it, then he was legally able to shoot him, even though he was following him with a gun. Yeah. That I don't know how that works. I don't know who justified that law in their head for real. But that's the law that Andrew Zimmerman, no George Zimmerman, mm-hmm. is it Andrew or George? George. George Zimmerman. That's the law that George Zimmerman used to uh, to get himself acquitted, right? And so he was able to walk free after murdering a black teenager. And yes. so when that happened. Um, that's when the Black Lives Matter movement gained significant traction, and that's when police brutality was really uh, well. Just um, the the murder of young black people was brought to national attention because it had been happening for a while. This was not the first instance of something no, like this I mean, happening. No, you can go back to ninety two. Mm-hmm. Rodney King, King, right? So. There's li- if you haven't heard of Rodney King, there's literally you can go on YouTube and watch a video of probably four or five policemen. Uh, physically assaulting a black man. He's on the ground. They're beating him with their sticks. They're kicking him. They're punching him. And then um, when they went to court, all of them were acquitted, right? And this was, the, you know, this was video evidence of them literally abusing their power as police, and they still got away, walked away scot-free. Um, so things like that have always been happening, right? Lynchings back in the 60s, 70s, what have you. Um, and so, you know, it was brought to national attention in the modern era in the 21st century. And... Um, yeah, then, you know, not long after that, we had, you know, the, the murders of, like, Mike Brown. There was Philando mm-hmm. Castillo. Steel. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. so, there's more than you can even count. And then, of course, everybody knows about George Floyd in 2020. That was a very significant one because of the, I guess, the graphic nature of his death. Yeah, and people were forced to watch it being home. Like, exactly. everyone saw it being on, like, it was right in the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So everybody was just on their yep. phones every day. Yep. So and there was, like there no was, one could yeah. ignore it. Right. And there was no way to justify that one. No. Like you can't, you can't say, Oh, well he was this or, Oh, he was doing that because there was literally a man kneeling on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds or mm-hmm. nine minutes, 46 seconds. Um, and that was, you know, there was no reason for that. And so people had to confront that reality, but, um, the, the black lives matter movement came along, um, and gained national public attention with the murder of Trayvon Martin and has since grown into a nonprofit organization Yep, um, that is run by... So it's ran by Alicia Garza, Patrice... Cool, how do you say that? Coolers? Coolers. Coolers. Colors. And, yeah, okay. Either one could work. And then Opal... These, their names are very interesting. I like it, but... T- yeah, they they can DM us the phonetic pronunciation <laughs> um, because, hey, the pronunciation of people's names is very important to me, and I always feel bad when I don't get it right. Mm. So mm-hmm. correct me. Same. Yes, but these are the women who um, organized and made Black Lives Matter happen. Yeah so, was that, yeah, so in 2013, it was created in response to George Zimmerman's acquittal for mm-hmm. the murder of Trayvon Martin because that was, it should have been an open and shut case, but because of... Uh, the way that the laws worked, um, you know, they worked in George Zimmerman's favor in that instance. And so, um, you know, those three women created this organization and have used it to, um, you know, really be a rallying cry for more civil rights for black people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we see over and over again uh, the disproportionate murder of 
of uh, young black people, you know, for things, the things that they're not doing, for things that they are doing. Yeah. You know, regardless of the situation, uh, there's rarely a, a situation where a black person or any person needs to die at the hands of police. That's not something that should happen as often as it does. Yeah. Um, and perfect example, you know, most, well, not most recently, but, the, you know, this year we saw the, uh, the shooting in Buffalo, New York. Oh, where yeah. the uh, the young it was a young white gunman. He walked into a grocery store and killed a bunch of older black people. And then he walked out. And, um, you know, as he walked out, you see the police walking up to him, uh, patting him on the back, giving him, you know, trying to talk him down. Nobody was was trying to kill him. Same with, you know, the Sandy Hook shooter. He was able to walk Most away unscathed. Just recently, the uh, shooter from uh, what was the name of the school in Florida. It was a shooter. He shot up a high school in Florida. Um, I don't know what it was school in, this he, is. He shot it up and he, he, he did the shooting there in like 2017. I remember yeah, when Yeah, I know, I know the yeah. event. I just don't know the name of the school. Yeah, I, I don't remember the name of the school or the name of the It was gunman. very big, though. I remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was very significant. Like the students spoke out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, but even him, he was just recently sentenced to life in prison or the jury recommended life in prison for him. Um, but, you know, a, yet another gunman who was able to walk away... Um, from a lethal situation and there are so many black people who have been killed in non-lethal situations Breonna Taylor was killed in her bed Um, you know George Floyd was killed coming out of uh, a convenience store right and And I mean like Philando Castile that one is so sad like I actually watched it that one is so sad like this man's just in his like Mm -hmm. the threat is just so low and it just shows the perception of black people the perception of black men being dangerous and people's fear and the way that stereotypes of like I don't know just like live in people's minds rent free and Mm -hmm. like they act on those stereotypes because how are you more afraid of a black person in their car who doesn't seem to have any weapons on them more than you are of a white man who you have no like you know as a police officer you're going into a situation that they have killed people already going into the school Mm but you're more likely to pull out your gun and shoot the black person. Right. That makes no sense. No sense at all. Right. And just do that without acting. And I think I misspoke. I don't think Dylan Roof was the Sandy Hook shooter. I think he was the one that shot up the church. I don't know. It's too many to keep count. Of. That's unfortunate. Of, right? That's extreme, right. extremely unfortunate. Don't, America is an interesting place. y'all. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just like, why are all these school shooters are constantly, I watch a lot of police crime TV shows and I mean, obviously in their exaggerations and they're not exactly correct, but overall the idea is if there's a hostage situation, like yes, the people's lives mean the most thing. So if that means killing the person who's doing that, they will do that. And that's mm-hmm. how they don't want to, but they will. But there's too many instances where these shooters are allowed to be let free after multiple people have been killed. Right. And black people are just existing, living mm-hmm. life doing normal things and they are being gunned down. Right. For normal so there's more of a reason to shoot. Th- like it just doesn't make sense when you understand what goes into shooting someone who's, you know, in a hostage situation. Cause that's what like a school shooting is. So it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I mean, we could keep listing them off. There's Jacob Blake who I think was he breaking up a fight and the police mm-hmm. uh, shot him. And then Tamir you know, Rice, the toy gun. Yep. He had a toy gun. There was another kid. Even in Utah, this happened. No, nowhere is safe. Um, he wasn't killed, but a police officer pulled a gun on a nine-year-old boy. 
Oh my a nine year old black boy. That's yeah, this so happened, scary. I think it was in 2020. Or it might have been a little bit. A nine year old. It was a nine year old boy who was uh, mentally handicapped, oh and my a police gosh. officer pulled a gun on him in, in his front yard. That's a nine year old. Yeah, the little boy was playing in his front yard, and a police officer pulled a gun on him. Mm. Um, and you know, and like you know, looking at a picture of the boy, he was you know clearly. Uh, you like know you, how can you, tell you can someone, tell, yeah, he was clearly mentally handicapped. Yes. And that didn't stop this grown ass man from pulling a gun on a nine year old black boy, right? So who obviously knows what police is? Mm-hmm. And you know, I, you know, say what you will, but if you are a grown man with combat training, um, first aid training, you know how to shoot a gun, you know martial arts, you know hand to hand, and you're afraid of a nine year old to the point where you have to pull out a gun and point it at him. Um, then that says something about the kind of person yes. that you are. And maybe right? you shouldn't be a police officer. Yeah, but unfortunately, that's the kind of people that are drawn to police work in a lot yep. of instances, right? Um, you know, we can go into the whole bad apple argument and all of that stuff, but it's like there are a whole lot of bad apples, you know. But uh, that's a story for another time. Well, and also, like, psychologically, there needs to be more, um, there needs to just be more understanding with police and training. And understanding your biases and how they impact what you do. In general, that need, there needs to be more of that everywhere, mm. everywhere you go. I felt that way on my mission. I'm like, I feel like we need racial bias training <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on absolutely. the mission. But things like that, like when you when you have to interact with the public, when you're dealing with customer service, because, I mean, you're just dealing with a lot of people. And a lot of police work is people work. Mm-hmm. For how much people work they do, I'm surprised they don't receive more people training. Right. Like they need the training that social workers have because they deal with a lot of social, social they deal with a lot of social work issues because, mm-hmm. yes, they are dealing with killings and guns and all that. But their day to day calls are like people who are in distress and in really tough situations that not really like the police are being called because that's the only option at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have very strong feelings about that. And I really think that police police stations police i don't know groups commissions whatever need to hire more social workers um yeah absolutely so that's when people say defund the police they don't mean i don't like me i'm not necessarily take away the money i'm just like let's reallocate the police Mm -hmm. like let's stop investing in more guns let's stop investing in more military like equipment because that has done nothing for any community and let's invest in ways that the police can actually be a place to help rehabilitate and help people rather than being a place that takes, because most situations where crimes are committed, there's a lot of issues going on just outside of the crime. Mm-hmm. Always. Right. Um, if you study, I've studied a lot of like um, crime and sociology. And so I'm like, it makes me super angry whenever I learn about police situations because they're always handled just very poorly. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I um, I was just recently listening to an interview from, uh, I don't remember his name, but it was a police officer who was at the Capitol on January 6th. He was one of the police officers that responded, and he was talking about, um, you know, his experiences in law enforcement and how, um, you know, he believes that it should be, in terms of, of law enforcement, he believes that it should be quality over quantity, so uh, to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, where they should be, um, focusing on the the kind of arrests that they're making as opposed to just trying to arrest as many people as possible. Yeah, because don't they have quotas? Yeah, and that's that's one of the things he talked about. He I said know that, about that with the tickets. Um, a lot of times, <laughs> you know, a lot of times police officers will, will just make a bunch of arrests to meet a quota. Mm. And the reason that they do that is because it comes from politicians. And so he said another important reason for us to vote is so that we can vote in politicians who will have uh, appropriate dialogue between the citizens and the police. 
Because a lot of times, you know, people in the neighborhood will complain about a certain issue and they'll take it to their local politician. And then mm. the politician will say, oh, well, you need to crack down on this area and you need to do this and this. Yeah. Why are you not arresting people in this area? Because this is where the problem is happening. So then they arrest a bunch of people in that area. And it's like, oh, great job. You made this many arrests in this area, but you haven't done anything to actually nope, fix the exactly. issue. Right. Um, and so that that whole mindset needs to change. And so it's not just the police. It's the government as well. Yeah. And the, the ideas and the systems that they promote. And coming from Chicago, just a city that, you know, historically has a lot of violence, This these issues are very important to me, and I look at them very critically. Like, I, I criticize very, very highly because I've just seen the ways that ineffective police work, ineffective community work mm-hmm. impacts people's lives. Right, right, right. Because, I mean, the reasons why, I mean, getting into other issues, but just the relationship between the police in Chicago and the reason why the violence is in the situation is in the city is very different than, um, than other places. And Mm -hmm. there could be more done from the police on a community level. And, you know, like you said, the government on their level and their involvement on ways to improve the situation, um, in Chicago, violent neighborhoods. For sure. For sure. But don't get me on that rant. (laughs) (laughs) For real. But yeah, so that I mean, we kind of we kind of went all over the place. Yeah, we, we did. But let's Matter bring it back into then, why white yeah. lives matter is not an okay or appropriate statement to ever make. Right, right. So we know. I guess we understand why Black Lives Matter. We understand where that came from. Right. Um, you know, there are people who say, "Oh, I support the the cause, but not the the organization." Not the all caps yeah. like they do in the church. Right. Child, right. Anyway, there have you know, and yes, there have been some <laughs> discrepancies financially. I believe um, one of the founders um, used some funds to pay for, um, like. A birthday party for her. No, no. She used a property owned by Black Lives Matter to pay for, or to she used that property, property for her child's birthday party, and then also um, she gave quite a bit of money to a relative for security services. Yeah, right? it was like close to a million dollars um, to do security work. Mm. Um, you know, and so some discrepancies there. However, the people, the same people who are um, like feeling iffy about that, are also the same people who like are caught up in lawsuits with Donald Trump for stealing their campaign donations. Okay, and they're also the same people who don't check any other organization that they support. Right. You don't hear this kind of thing about the, you know, the Red Cross. No, knowing all these organizations have very sketch people running them, doing very embezzlement type things. Mm -hmm. All the time, right? So um, not to justify the discrepancy, the financial discrepancies, however... Call us you know, it, there's a there's this added spotlight on black people um, and the things that we do because and having to we be are perfect black people. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, as far as that goes, I, I'm still going to donate my money to Black Lives Matter, yeah. to whatever chapter I'm in. Well, let's hold scrutiny to to everyone. Right. I just feel like let's have the same standard for for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just equal standards. No double standards. Right. No. Um, but yeah. So moving on to White Lives Matter. OK. This is, you know, to anybody with sense, this statement is, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's unnecessary. Yeah. We'll just say that. I mean, it's, it's not divisive. A, right. It's That's not a, how I yeah. feel. I'm like, now why did you say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not something that needs to be said um, because everything reflects that sentiment already. The whole reason that the, the statement Black Lives Matter was created is because it has become evident through um, 
centuries at this point, centuries of American history and world history that black lives do not matter. And they especially do not matter in America um, to the government, to white people, to police officers, um, you know, those kinds of things. Right. And so the statement white lives matter was created as a racist response to the phrase black lives matter um, and is created out of ignorance and out of fear. You know, I think a lot of times um, there are a lot of white people in this country who are very angry um, or who are very fearful. They're fearful of, uh, you know, the country being taken over by immigrants or they're fearful of um, their identity being lost in uh, an ever increasing multicultural America. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And there's also a lot of anger behind not having a particular culture as a white person in the United States. Um, There's white culture outside of here. You go to Germany, you go to France, you go to Amsterdam, you go to, um, you know, wherever you're going to see my ethnic whites. Right. You're going to see. I call y'all ethnic uh, whites. You go to Italy, (laughs) Greece, like all those places, you're going to see elements of culture there that that are specific to them. But in the United States, if you're more than a generation or two removed from, you know, wherever your family immigrated from, then that's kind of just faded away. And you're left with um, just the identity of being a white American. And unfortunately, there's a lot of fear and a lot of anger and oftentimes a lot of hate tied up in that identity. And it's hard to work through if uh, if you don't do the work. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think I mean, the whole phrase white lives matter is it's, it's not productive. It's counterintuitive. And I don't know, I just get frustrated because why are we saying oh, why lives matter when clearly, historically, there's statistic, statistical evidence that is proving black lives do not matter and they've been in danger historically. And so all we're doing is bringing attention to, to that and we're just trying to help fix a problem that is impacting a group of people specifically so that things can be more equitable because right now they aren't especially you just look at the numbers of loan of issues and deaths that are brought from police officers to different ethnic or racial groups. Mm. Let's put it like this. Um, you know, a major, you know, think something that everybody knows about in the United States is cancer, right? So imagine there's a breakfast or some kind of uh, event honoring people who have survived cancer, right? It's a serious illness. It's something that affects a lot of people in the United States and around the world. Um, Imagine there's a breakfast for cancer survivors. And then on the other hand, you've got people saying, well, what about people who've never had cancer? Why not have a breakfast for them? It's like, okay, it's great that you've never had cancer, but this is not about you. This is about focusing on the people who are suffering or who have suffered and honoring them and making sure that they're taken care of in this instance. So if you can see uh, why that phrase doesn't make a lot of sense, why it doesn't make sense to say, hey, well, what about the people who have never had cancer when you're trying to honor people who have survived cancer? Uh, Then that's the same thing when you're talking about Black Lives Matter versus White Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Black people have suffered in this country immensely. We are still suffering in this country immensely. Um, There is a huge imbalance. There's injustice. I think um, you know, the, the, the wealth discrepancies are enormous. Um, there are still so many things in place that are that put black people at a, uh, a legal disadvantage yep. 
at an economical disadvantage. There are so many things that still exist out there. So for a white person to come along who's not affected by these things and say, well, what about me? What about white people? Um, it's the same kind of sentiment. It is not helpful to to anything, really. At all. It, uh, it simply is just a way of seeking attention, honestly. Yeah. And so, yeah, for, for Kanye West and Candace Owens to wear it again, I don't know what exact statement they were trying to make but i mean historically we know I that mean, candace owens and she, Kanye she, West have you seen her little like i haven't personally watched the entire thing I but I've seen, clips, yeah, I've seen clips these clips mm -hmm. she like went on this whole little rant she doesn't want to be associated with this culture right, right. oh girl i was like i'm gonna punch this woman mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't yeah. listen to her on purpose yeah i don't, I don't either don't give her the view right right that yeah i can't give her the view mm -hmm. you know she's very much about you know getting attention and getting validation and she well, has lots of it kanye this is just very disappointing kanye is from chicago he was born i'm pretty sure he was born in georgia atlanta mm -hmm. he was raised in the city and this is just very disappointing because Kanye, you know, when he first started his career, he was talking about these injustices. He was talking about, you know, very interesting things about how black people, you know, how white people have tricked black people into understanding what flexing their wealth means. I just was listening to like it all falls down like right before we record, you know, mm -hmm. and just like that song. If you listen to it, it's interesting to think about the ways that, you know, people who are black people who become really famous and how they like to just show their wealth but at the end of the day it doesn't really mean anything because we're still paying white people and just interesting things that are conversations that black people have mm -hmm. and um he was someone who was really you know changing things i thought for people and so it's really unfortunate to see him in this state um because it's like what are you doing and if anything, you're you're becoming a detriment to our community, considering his greatness and the contributions that he has made up to this point to the world yeah. and to our community. So it's like this is kind of almost um, taking away from the good that he's done up to this point, mm -hmm. which is sad. I'm like, just stop speaking so that your legacy is somewhat OK, yeah. because if you keep going at the rate you're going, you're going to destroy the legacy that you have created for mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, I think at some point for him it stopped being about like the art and it started being more about um, chasing approval. Yeah. And so I think he's constantly looking for that. And he's also um, looking for like a sense of fulfillment, which yeah. is why he keeps doing all these things. He's an excellent businessman. I mean, he's selling like yes. the ugliest shoes ever, but apparently they're mad comfortable. Like I would buy them because I hear they're comfortable. But like, you know, he's selling these different products. He has all these multiple businesses. He's a billionaire at a relatively yes, young age. I agree. You know, I mean, he's a crazy good businessman. Um, but he's also seeking um, validation from places where he's not going to get it. And we exactly. notice this because he'll like, you know, he, he. I think recently he was talking about he wants us to boycott Adidas because yes. they like, you know, uh, tricked him out of a, or were dishonest with him about some kind of promotion or deal or something like that and so he runs back to us and he's like oh you guys black people you got to stand for me and we got to boycott it yeah and i'm like no right and it's like no we're not gonna do that kanye because we know we're gonna do this for you and then we turn back around and what do you do for us lives matter shirt, shirt, right? holding know, hands like with kenneth owens you, you're still out here um working against us until it doesn't suit you and then all of a sudden you want us to like stand with you and stuff yeah. but you're not gonna stand with us all the time you know so well, and that brings up the issue of, I just thought about this today kind of at work, the issue of when black people sometimes get out of touch with where their roots are and really mm -hmm. what the issues are for everyday black people. Yeah. And this was brought about because I was talking to a coworker who was talking about black executives, black people who get into VP positions, 
CEO positions and how they are not really the best advocates for black people in corporate America mm-hmm. because their reality and their perception of what is happening for people on the ground gets skewed yeah. because they interact with a lot of white people and they just that's just not their reality anymore. That's not their everyday. Mm-hmm. And so it brings up this issue of how do you stay grounded, kind of, I mean, Kanye basically is not grounded, I'd say. How do you stay grounded to issues that are impacting your community and your experience from the way you were raised or, I don't know, or just issues that impact the black community when you make it, quote unquote? Because yeah. I, I don't know. I sometimes feel so removed from some of the hardships I experienced as a child that it doesn't feel like reality. It doesn't feel like me. And so I can I can understand how you could get in that mindset when you arrive so big like a Kanye who's making billions, who is billions of dollars, right? Like he's right, right, right. super rich. And so, yeah, that's why, you know, he's acting crazy, not excusing his behavior at all. I do not excuse the the stalking that he's done to Kim, all these things, mm-hmm. even with his mental health issues, that is not acceptable. But I just think it's interesting and something... I don't know. I feel like as a black community, we need to kind of talk about and figure out like, what are we doing for each other to make sure we're grounded? Right. We need to be going back, back. You need to go back and like have some, go to some non, do some nonprofit work yearly. You need to be required or something because when I go to like conferences or I'm around in the social justice area, I feel like it grounds me. It keeps me humble and reminds me like, okay, this is what it's about, rather than getting caught up in like these arbitrary issues especially like in DEI and corporate America you can get caught up in a lot of like stuff that really doesn't mean anything and you need to be reminded of the true everyday people are suffering black people the wealth disparity we don't have money <laughs> um things like that so yeah. yeah and shout out to sociology I was thinking too while you're talking Nate mm-hmm. sociology is the reason why we know all these things about the wealth gap about you know even like police brutality like sociology studies these types of things and so if you can, go redo some research. <laughs> it's actually quite interesting if you scroll always to the end, the discussion part mm-hmm. of a research paper. Um, and this is really the reason why we know these things is because sociologists have studied this. Psych- psychologists study it a little bit, but really it's, it's social sciences overall that analyzes these things and makes sure, I mean, gives us the data that we need to know these types of things. You know, I'm always bringing that up. <laughs> Amen to that. love sociology. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, that's all we got for today. Yeah. Rachel, what's your recommendation for this week? Ooh, recommendation for the week. I didn't think about this. Let me do mine first? Yes. All right. My recommendation for this week, um, you know, a lot of these facts and these discrepancies, these issues that we're talking about are, they're not hidden. They're readily available to anyone who looks for them. And you can get them from pretty reliable sources or extremely reliable sources, right? Um, if you want to go and look at the wealth gap, if you want to look at discrepancies in teaching and, um, you know, resources available for teachers in the inner city versus in uh, more predominantly white areas, yep. if you want to look at uh, discrepancies in, um, you know, educational funding or if you want to look at discrepancies in housing, if you want to look at discrepancies in food, all those kinds of things, go to the United States Census website. Look at the most recent census, and you can find subjects for everything. It'll tell you all the demographics. It'll tell yes. you everything, right? Also, the FBI's website will give you every statistic about crime, about um, violence, about poverty, all of that. It's all in the same areas, right? And, you know, there's a lot, oftentimes a lot of people will argue about stuff like, oh, black people only make up 13% of the population, but they do 50-something percent of the violent crime and all this like stuff. That's what they were arrested for. Right. And it's like, okay, that's a great, great statistic. However, it fails to look at the fact that um, black people also make up the majority of impoverished um, communities. Yeah. 
and crime and poverty go hand in hand. <coughs> Shout out to my social science. Degree. Exactly. And if you look at if you look at crime rates in impoverished communities, regardless of race. Excuse me. Yeah, regardless of race, the crime rates are going to be the same. Right? And so it all comes back to racism, right? The fact that there is a wealth gap directly affects um, the rates of crime that you see in the country. And so, you know, it's important to look at all of the facts, look at all of the statistics. And I'm definitely guilty of, you know, looking at, um, you know, I'm definitely guilty of not looking at everything as a whole in the past, but that's definitely something that I'm working on because I always want to be correct when I come with, with my facts. I want to make sure that um, I don't end, ever end up looking like a fool, right? So, I do my research. I actually do my research. Oh, uh, yes. And so my like recommendation for y'all is to also <laughs> do your research this week. <laughs> okay, my recommendation is a hair recommendation, which is makes sense coming from me. I recommend trying the Myel Organics. Myel Organics, that's the brand. And try their Rosemary line. If you're trying to grow your hair, I've been trying to grow my hair, and they are work wonders. This is a very random recommendation. Um, I don't know how this will work with people who have straight hair. Um, I cannot speak for you, but I can speak for people with curly hair, black or white. Um, this this line is very good. It um, has helped my hair feel more, more moisturized, and they have like an oil that I use as well that has helped my hair to grow. So that's my recommendation for the week. Okay. Cool. We'll catch y'all next week. That's the show for today. We were super excited to be able to talk with you about the wonderful topics of the Black Menace podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Black Menaces and subscribe to our Patreon, The Menace Society, for bonus content and footage of both the podcast and our videos. We look forward to hearing from y'all in our email. You can email us menace moments and other questions that you may have for us. Be sure to email blackmenacepodcast at gmail.com to get those menace moments and questions flowing into our inbox. We'll answer you on the podcast and respond to you in the email. And remember, always be a menace. Thank you, guys. <laughs>